Go, the language is so mature that all the rough edges has been filed off. When I started, there were loads of sharp edges. And when there are sharp edges, it's really easy to just dive in. and like, I've got this need to fix this thing, right? But now there aren't so many things to fix. And the things that are there to be fixed are pretty hard to fix. Mm -hmm. They're not easy because if they were easy, someone else would have done it, right? Yeah. If you actually want to contribute to Go, the core thing as well, as well as the kind of social thing, just filing good issues can be really, really helpful. If you have an issue which you think is a bug, then you know you can complain about it, but <laughs> filing a really good issue is actually really helpful. Big thanks to our partners, Linode Fastly and LaunchDarkly. We love Linode, they keep it fast and simple. Get $100 in credit at linode.com slash changelog. Our bandwidth is provided by Fastly. Learn more at fastly.com and get your feature flags powered by LaunchDarkly. Get a demo at launchdarkly.com. What's up, Gophers? This episode is brought to you by friends at Teleport. With Teleport Access Plane, you can quickly access any computing resource anywhere. Engineers and security teams can unify access to SSH servers, Kubernetes clusters, web applications, and databases across all environments. Teleport is open core, which you can use for free, and it's supported by their cloud-hosted version, which lets you forget about configuring, updating, or managing Teleport. The Teleport team does all that for you. Your team can focus on your projects and spend less time worrying about infrastructure access. Try Teleport today in the cloud, self-hosted, or open source. Head to goteleport.com to learn more and get started. Again, goteleport.com. Go time. Welcome to Go Time, your source for diverse discussions from around the Go community. Subscribe if you're new at gotime.fm and follow the show on Twitter for the unpop polls, notifications of when we go live, and other solid tweets like interesting repos from your fellow gophers. We are at gotime.fm. All right, that's all for me. Here we go. very exciting to be in the virtual room with people who use Go a lot longer than me. I'm super excited to welcome you all. Roger and Miki are our panelists for today and Johnny, you are the co-host for today. Good evening, morning, afternoon, everyone. Hello. Good evening. So, Miki, you are an all-time gopher. You are using Go for at least a decade now. You are all-time developer. Older times developer started using in 97. What is the math behind that? What year are we now? Uh, it's around 25 years now. 25 years, man. Yes, that's professionally. Uh, I did some uh, as a teenager just playing around, but uh, professionally started in 97. That's really fun. That's a lot. Makes me feel old. And you are also teaching Go and you're writing about Go and you're making videos about Go and you're also developing in Go. And you do all that with your company 353 Solutions. And thank you for joining us from Tel Aviv. Yes, Benjamina. Benjamina. Close enough. Uh, Roger, you are an aging gopher. You describe yourself like that. <laughs> and uh, X-Plan 9, Inferno, Air, long-time contributor. That's fun. And you work at Influx Data. And you're also a meetup organizer. Actually, both of you are meetup organizers. This is true. Hi. You are joining us from the UK. Yep, I'm in uh, Northumberland, in the in the north of England, far north of England, just south of the Scottish border. 
And you're actually bailing on your own Go meetup to join us today. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, a clash, but you know, at least I can listen to that back to that. I can't uh, speak while I'm listening to that. So. Only the organizers were organized. <laughs> Talking about myself here, not about my co-organizer for this episode, Johnny. Hi. Hey, how's it going? Good. You have been using Go for eight years, nine years? Yeah, something like that. That's a long time. Yeah, it's been great. I want to start with a panelist, but actually first I want to ask you, Johnny, how did you start and why did you start using Go? How did that happen? It was all kind of accidental. Career-wise, I was in a place where um, I'd been doing uh, Ruby, my previous sort of uh, full-time language, for a while. Before that, I'd done you know um, some PHP, some Cold Fusion, some Java and whatnot. I was kind of looking for something new. And uh, around the same time, um, a good friend of mine, Mark Bates, who's also uh, every once in a while comes to the sh onto the show. And we travel sort of the same circles in the Boston area. We're like uh, Boston Ruby uh, co-organizers uh, at some point. And uh, he started getting into Go and he sort of uh, turned me on to it and says, hey, this is pretty cool. Check it out. And yeah, that's how I stum stumbled onto it and sort of got more and more curious about it. I think a few months later, we found ourselves, both Mark and I found ourselves um, headed to the very first GopherCon um, in Denver. Gosh, I can't remember the year now, 2013, 2014. Yeah, and ever since then, you know, it basically it was it was a kind of a smallish room, kind of a smallish conference, certainly by, by based, uh, relative to the size it is now. But there were like maybe like 500 folks, I'd say, at most. And it was all single track. And, you know, you had like, you had like a dozen speakers go up there and talk about their experiences. And, and with each one, Rob Pike was at, at the first one and, and whatnot. And with each speaker that went up there and talked about their experiences with the language and, and sort of uh, how it differed from other statically type languages and whatnot. And, and uh, the more I saw of it, the more I was like, okay, this is uh, um, interesting. This speaks to me, right? Especially coming from having done uh, years of, of dynamic programming. And I was like, okay, I think I might be ready to step my uh, foot back into the the more uh, static uh, typing kind of uh, kind of language because, you know, I've been bitten so many times with dynamic languages uh, for certain things, obviously. I'm not saying dynamic languages are a bad thing, but uh, they are, I was kind of feeling a need to sort of uh, go back, right, uh, to the more uh, static side of things um, for a number of reasons. And this sort of, you know, fit my desire, right? My need for that kind of technology. So yeah, and ever since then, it's been first, you know, doing some um, side projects and, and getting more comfortable with it and eventually, you know, getting a job writing it full time. And uh, yeah, every every job I've had since has been, I've had uh, basically Go has played a major role in, in every role I've had since then, which I'm grateful. So are we. You're a wonderful member of the community with all the teaching that you're doing. It's uh, <laughs> Oh, thank you. It is awesome. <laughs> Roger, how about you? How did you find yourself gophering? I think I had a bit of a different background to most people. I got into this system from that was produced came from Bell Labs called Plan Nine back in way back when I was at university um, in the sort of early nineties, and I'd been following along with that. And they also produced a system called Inferno, which was like a kind of it started at the same kind of time as Java. It had it was kind of JIT based system. It had this really interesting language. I thought it was really nice language called Limbo. And that had a lot, actually had a lot in common with Go. And and so I'd been doing some stuff with Inferno and, and like I'd had a full-time job doing that area. And that was kind of fizzling out, to be honest. And somebody, on the day it came out, somebody mentioned, oh, Go has come out today and there's new language. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. And so I, I was actually staying uh, in the Bay Area at the time and I was... Uh, 
I seem to remember that I was I found out about it in the afternoon and I was going into town. I played the fiddle and I was going in, into town to play in like a music session in town and I found a printer and I printed out the specification <laughs> and I read it on the bus on the way into San Francisco. <laughs> just like like you know, leading through it. And like, oh yeah, oh that's interesting. And so and that's that's how I found out about Go. That's how I started. And from then on, I didn't look back really. I, I basically I took a year not doing anything, not doing any uh, any paid work. I was just working on Go in that year, basically. When you say that somebody told you about that, did you like overhear a conversation? Did you find it on Reddit? How did this magic happen? So the reason I was in the Bay Area was I was with a guy that I worked for, worked with worked for. He mentioned it to me. He said, you know, hey, check this out. I was like, oh. But there was no Slack. How how did that happen? <laughs> how did he find out? I have no idea how he actually found out. I mean, there must have been. I remember joining the IRC channel like mm -hmm. you know the day after, and it was really active and like chatted like Rob Pike was. I'd actually met Rob, Rob and, and and various of the others like Russ and people at various Plan Nine because they were all at Plan Nine people before. So, mm. and I was like, oh, this is really cool. Look, at this directional channels because like Limbo had had channels like Go, but then there were some things that Go added, like yeah, directional channels rather than just uh, first-class channels. It was pretty interesting. You mentioned you read the, the spec. Most people don't start out reading a spec when they're trying to pick up a new language. <laughs> but honestly, they write so well, and the spec is so readable. And if you've ever read the Go spec, it's ultra-readable. And also, I kind of knew what I was looking for, I suppose, because... I'd like read through it like okay now I know the language right <laughs> kind of yeah so I just checked there are 6063 people on the GoNuts IRC channel right now so it's still out there <laughs> I haven't looked at the GoNuts IRC channel for a number of years now <laughs> can't say I am there Miki how did you find out about the language so for me it's a bit of a twisted path I did mostly Python at the time, and they started talking about adding AsyncIO to the language, which I didn't like. <laughs> so I looked for other languages who support um, both uh, a lot of concurrency and can use all the cores easily. If you're interested, there's one article called uh, The Free Lunch is Over, which talks about the fact that clock cycles are staying the same, and now we get more cores and traditional languages. It's a problem for them to use that. And the second one is the C10K problem. How can I serve 10,000 connections from a single process? So I was looking for a language, and I looked at several of them. I like programming languages in general. And I tried out Erlang, Clojure, and Go. That Go was at the very beginning. Without the Go tool, we used make files. And because I came from dynamic languages, I started actually with Clojure. And it was nice until my hatred of the JVM drove me away. <laughs> and then I came back to go. It was a bit more mature. And ever since, I'm really happy there. I have to say, I missed the very interesting part, which is the beginning of exactly how did you hear about that? I know it was also not Slack. Well, I have a one-bit memory, so it's really hard for me to remember 11 years ago. But I went out looking for languages that mm -hmm. can fit the profile I was looking for. So I don't remember exactly where I heard about that. Google came out with something, one of my RSS feeds. or mm, That was a wonderful tool. Mickey, I think we lost you, just like we lost the RSS feed by Google, which was a wonderful <laughs> tool. We all loved it. I know I loved it very much. But you're back. Okay. So, yeah, RSS. 
<laughs> I think just the mention of RSS made everything freeze. So. It was Google Reader, right? Yeah. Google Reader, yeah. Yeah. Is that the name? Yeah, I think so. That was not written in Go. No. <laughs> it was great, though. It was. I think I'm one of the few people that I know that started using Go because of their work, but also use Go for a long time. I started it in 2014 because the company that I started working at was written exclusively in Go. Now it's kind of more popular. More and more people are joining because their employer is already using Go for a while, but now Go is 12 years old, so we have expanded. It's also common now, or rather, I should say more common now for, let's say, experienced developers who perhaps have uh, you know the option and luxury of sort of uh, going on a longer job search to almost exclusively be looking for companies that do go almost exclusively or a, a majority of their stack, right? So I know for me personally, if I were to start looking for work now, that would be one of my primary sort of um, influencers for where I go work, right? Do you use Go? Is that your sort of your go-to language for things? Not that I don't want to learn something new, but like I feel so much more productive in the language after having used it for so for so long. I almost feel like I, uh, the quantity or amount of quality of value that I can deliver as a senior level engineer is kind of getting more and more tied to Go. Now, that could be a double-edged sword, right? <laughs> because technology doesn't last forever. Well, COBOL, you know. <laughs> there is that. And now it's, it's a great job to have COBOL. Yeah, there's like two people left who do it. You know? so, <laughs> so. But Copilot, GitHub's Copilot supports, or, or Codex, one of those AI engines that mm. do code, they support COBOL. Mm-hmm. So we're good. <laughs> the banks will survive. <laughs> <laughs> it hasn't gone away, right? Yeah. But I mean, I'd, I'd say, you know, from a career standpoint, if somebody's listening to this podcast and you're wondering, okay, I'm dipping my toes in the go and should I make the jump? I will resoundingly say absolutely. I think go is no longer in the infancy of its adoption, but it's in, I think it's on in the infancy of its longevity. Right. It's going to be around for a while. It's going to be a, like a Java, right? Hopefully not a, too enterprisey, <laughs> but it will be around. It will have, you know, the, the longevity of something like a C or a Java. It's, it's going to be around because so much technology is being built on it and being built with it. And that stuff's not going to go away anytime soon. There's only going to be a greater and greater need for, for Go developers. So now is as good a time as any to jump on it because, you know, you're not going to be without work if you know your way around Go. Yes, I think every language has a killer feature, and for Go, it's the Docker and Kubernetes ecosystem that's giving a big of a push. Roger might have a different opinion. What do you think, Roger? Uh, I, early on in Go, of course, I, I wanted a job in the Go ecosystem. There was no Go ecosystem at that point. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I realized that you know this was the language I actually wanted to work in, and there was nothing. So luckily, like after I've been doing it about a year, and the nice thing about joining a language really early on is that there's loads of bugs, loads of low-hanging fruit, loads of bugs to fix. So there's low and loads of little features. You like, oh, that's missing this. So it's really easy to get into contributing. Because originally, like it was things like uh, I remember this bit. There's time sleep. You know, used up a whole OS thread if you did a sleep in the runtime. You know, this is not great, right? If you want lots of go routines that are actually doing some time-related stuff. So I did the first implementation of time sleep that that didn't use an OS thread. And there was me and this one other guy, Gustavo Niemeyer, who you might have heard of. And we both produced these different implementations and had this nice interaction. And a little bit later, he was like, we're just starting to do some stuff in Go. Do you want a job? And I was like, oh, okay then. <laughs> so that's, you know, <laughs> I think Go's got loads of 
potential niches. I think Kubernetes is a really big one, but there's nothing about Kubernetes that necessarily means that anything has to be programmed in Go, right? Because mostly you interact with it through an API and it just happens that most of the API is defined in Go, so it's easy to use. But I think the engineering properties of Go are, are really great and it has has some excellent properties compared to something like, I mean, Rust perhaps is safer, but it's also harder to use, right? A lot harder to use. And so, you know, I think it hits a sweet spot in lots of respects. You mentioned, Roger, that you spent your first year after discovering Go just playing around with it and building projects kind of for fun. So some of the things you were doing is contributing to the code base. What other projects did you think that Go would be a good match for? And what in the properties of it kind of made you think that? I'm not sure I thought had a good idea about what things, what particular kind of areas it might be a good match for. I was playing around. I did some graphics stuff, like there was an X11 driver for it. So, you know, some other code, I remember playing around with that. I built little tools. So one of the tools I built was this thing called GoDef, which enabled you to click on something in your editor on a symbol, a Go symbol, and it would take you to where that symbol was defined. And that was actually used in in GoVim for quite a long time because I built it in a way that was really easy to use. I actually built it for my own, the editor that I use which nobody else uses. Is that Emacs? No. Is that Emacs? No. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Shallow shade. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, no, it's him. (laughs) Oh, nice. (laughs) Nice. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, so I was just building little things. GoDef ended up quite widely used, and I went back earlier thinking, oh, so that, you know, the first commits on there, I was doing stuff. Back in May of 2010, you know, that, that around then I was kind of starting because the way that GoDev came about is I was looking at the the Go AST packages and the Go parser packages where it would make it really easy for you to parse Go source code. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. And I just built a little thing to parse it. And I was like, you know what? You could probably work out where if you just had a little bit of intelligence there, you could actually work out where these symbols were defined. And you can actually do it really efficiently Unfortunately, GoDef these days is really slow because it uses the standard tooling, which basically reads everything into memory. That At the time, it was pretty nice because it would just do it lazily. So just read read only the symbol, only the, only the bit of code that it needed, and it would just resolve exactly that. So it would like resolve a symbol within like a couple of milliseconds, which is you know, from scratch, from cold, which is it was pretty cool at the time. Now, of course, you've got Go IDE or Go, I can't remember what it's called. GoLand. I'm thinking of the uh, the integrated developer stuff. Oh, the language server. Yeah, language, yeah. Go, go please. Mm. Yes. Yeah, every editor uses that now, right? I think almost yeah. exclusively at this point. Almost every editor, yeah. yeah. It's nice that the IDE developers decided on a same protocol for every language and makes it easy. Miki, how about you? What were the first project or projects that you found go to be a good match for them? And what in the specs then made kind of made it stand out? For me, it was, I wanted to try out Go. So I wanted to write something and I said, let's write something that has a value. And I just came out from a company that did a lot of work with Selenium. And I said, okay, let's write the Selenium driver for Go, which I did. And then I learned a lot about how to write Go code, interfaces, networking, uh, everything. So it, it was a good match for Go to do that, to basically run tests. Currently, it's maintained by Eric from Google. Thank you, Eric, for doing that. Which Eric? Oh, I forgot his last name. Sorry. 
Not Clapton. <laughs> no. Not Gross. As a side note, it's really, really hard to get rid of your open source project and find someone else who will maintain them. So I'm, I'm really thankful for that. After that, I dipped my toe that says, I'm going to do something inside Go itself. So I wrote the initial implementation for the parallel testing feature. And that was uh, my first interaction with the, the core Go team. And I learned so much uh, of how to do designs, how to do reviews. I think it was like 14 cycles of code reviews before it got in. I think, Kroj, you were there as well. Sorry, which feature was this? I, I missed. The parallel testing, t.parallel. Oh, the parallel stuff. Oh, t.parallel, parallel testing. Yes. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. And after that, a lot of other things. I just snuck go into every organization I could find wherever I went and went to work. <laughs> I just snuck it in and I'd usually do it with a with like a command line tool. That was my beachhead, basically. Just build a build a, a CLI tool and then uh, deliberately have another developer and a team extend it. Say like, oh you you want you wanna add support for that? Yeah, yeah, just go to just go in the repo, just check it out and then you know if you have any questions let me know. They'll go to it and be like, this isn't Go. I'm like, yeah, 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 it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Just check it out. And <laughs> if you don't have Go, just download it here. Like, it, it's super, super simple. And <laughs> they kind of be, you know, like, give me the side eye, like a little skeptic. I'm like, ah, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. You want me to come pair with you? Like, let's just do it. And then we'd sit down and then, you know, like, all of a sudden you'd see sort of the, the hesitation. So it start to dissipate a little bit because they're like, okay, well, okay, this is kind of nice. This is, I don't need, you know, any super fancy things or anything heavy oh my God, it compiles so fast. You know, it's almost like I'm scripting. I'm like, yeah, it's <laughs> awesome, isn't it? And yeah, and then we know, and next thing you know, we'd, you know, we'd open up a PR and boom, and that was it. And then just, you know, one at a time, I'd just be converting people. Obviously, not every company was was appreciative of, of how it's converting <laughs> <laughs> everybody into using a, a non-sanctioned language. But, you know, eventually uh, um, folks started to see the value because beyond the CLIs, what typically would happen There'll be one developer, not me. I, I, at that point, I'd be removing myself from the equation and letting people just, you know, um, run with it and see where they go with it. And people, somebody would suggest, hey, how about we, you know, write this API or uh, this REST service or whatever it is. How about we do that in Go? Because I heard it's pretty, you know, pretty fast, pretty good at that stuff. And there's like libraries and stuff we can use already. Can we just do one of those things? And then with some reluctance, you know, the manager or technical lead would be like, okay, fine. And then we try it and it would be so fast compared to other things, which I would not name because that's not the point, but it'd be so much faster than what they typically would be using. And then that's really how that, that whole transition would start to happen. People would be like, ah, this is a more productive, this is a safe language to use. It's going to catch things that, that normally I'd go find out about at runtime. This is uh, the process for getting this work done. Even when, when novice developers were actually dabbing with concurrency stuff and then wanting to use GoTeams and everything else, with a little bit of guidance, they, they were so productive. And they're like, okay, at that point, once I've planted that seed, I just step back and watch it grow because Go really just speaks for itself. It's that good of a language. That is an awesome strategy. <laughs> I think that command line clients, the fact that Go compiles to a static binary is a great thing because writing CLI tools so what do I need to install? Just grab the executable. No JVM, no pip install, no NPM or whatever. So this is really a good niche to start with. This episode is brought to you by our friends at LaunchDarkly. 
feature management for the modern enterprise, power testing in production at any scale. Here's how it works. LaunchDarkly enables development teams and operation teams to deploy code at any time, even if a feature isn't ready to release to users. Wrapping code with feature flags gives you the safety to test new features and infrastructure in your production environments without impacting the wrong end users. When you're ready to release more widely, update the flag status and the changes are made instantaneously by the real-time streaming architecture. Eliminate risk, deliver value, get started for free today at launchdarkly.com. Again, launchdarkly.com. Uh, earlier or last month an episode about hacking with Go and the same thing, the fact that it's so easily cross-compiled to everything is a favorite feature of some people who use Go for, for their malware. It is very convenient. It's very efficient. <laughs> nice. <laughs> ransomware. Uh, Go friendly. Go friendly to ransomware. <laughs> you heard it here first. Go pay. <laughs> Go pay. <laughs> nice. Uh. I didn't write that. <laughs> so you say so you mentioned some of the contributions that you were doing to the community over the time or to go in general so obviously everybody here actually is a community organizer right we all organize meetups in our local area yep so there's that there is contributing to the documentation there's making some of the pull requests of the fun features that you added Let's chat a little bit about that. What are some fun contributions that you feel that you've made? I started the LA Gophers when I was in LA. And the fun contribution was asking Frances Campoy to come over. And he came over from San Francisco on a bike. Wait, how long was that? Half hour was this? <laughs> Isn't that like one hour flight from San Francisco to LA? Yeah, something like that. But on bike, I think it was... It must be a lot on a bike. Yeah. Was it more than one day? No, I don't think it was more than a single day, but it was a very long day for him. So this was a fun contribution, just uh, making him get in shape. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the meetups are important. Now I'm doing it here in Israel. It's good for the community. I think COVID is, is doing really horrible things to meetups. So we're going back to physical ones, start of next year, January. Oh, already next year. Oh, nice. Yes, we, we help to start. And I think uh, the local meetups are really important. A lot of companies don't know that other companies right next in the building are doing Go. And it's sometimes fun, like, oh, you're doing Go as well. Well, let's talk about what you're doing and see some libraries. And I think this uh, in-person meeting is sometimes even more important than the talks themselves. So uh, I really like it. Can you tell us a little bit about how Go uh, got adopted in the Israeli scene? Oh, a lot of companies. Would you say it happened early on? Would you say it happened recently? I would say it's... So I'm, I'm doing both. I'm involved both in the Python and the Go community. And it was more Python, less Go. And now it's about 50-50 Python and Go. So it's taking over, I would say, maybe in the last three or four years. But maybe it's just me and my echo chamber. So I'm not Totally sure if that's true. I see more companies using it. It's more widespread, big companies, big names, a lot of interesting things, both in the cyber section, telecommunication, ad tech, you name it, it's there. Would you say that is something that happened early on? So in the beginning of 
ago? So like last 10, 12 years or recently? No, I think in the last four years, mm -hmm. something like that. Nice. Interesting. Raj, how is it in the north of the UK? The north of the UK? I, well, there was a long time where I thought there were actually no gophers here at all. Absolutely none. There was a time when GitHub did this, you know, you are the top developer in your area thing. And I was like, oh, I'm the top Go developer in the northeast. No, no. Then there's, <laughs> yeah, like there's none, right? <laughs> Except there's someone else. I'm like, oh, who's this other person? And so we got chatting on Twitter And it's like, oh, there's someone else. Maybe we should have a meetup, <laughs> right? You know, maybe we should, you know. Have two. <laughs> like, like, okay, well, who knows? There might be others, you know. I think I'd got, I'd had a meetup account for joining some other meetup in, go meetup in the US. And I was like, oh, well, I'll just put it on, see what happens. And a bunch of people came along. And so that's how our meetup in Newcastle got started and just sort of carried along. When was that? How many years ago? No, that's a really good question. About <laughs> maybe five years ago or something, mm -hmm. something like that. It's been going a little while. So for five years, you were kind of alone in your area, and then the next five years were more fun. Yeah, but, you know, you're never alone on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. I, I, you know, I didn't know of anyone. To be honest, most of the people that come along to the meetup tend to be people that are interested in Go, not people that are actually actively working in Go. But, you know, I've been working ever since that first Go job, I've been working remotely. So, you know, that's the thing that there don't have to be anyone in your local area that programs in Go or programs in whatever you want to program in. You can just get a remote job. And that's awesome because now I'm in the, the middle of absolutely nowhere in, in, in the wilds of Northumberland. And, and I've got a, a fine job at Influx and it's awesome. And other than the meetup, do you see that the tech ecosystem is adopting Go? Or how is the adoption looking like? I don't know, because I don't really keep a finger on the pulse. I just see, I see there are lots of people using it. I see new projects mm. made with it. Mm -hmm. There are a bunch of, you know, possible alternatives. The one that's often mentioned is Rust. But having tried to use Rust, uh, you know, I spent a little bit of time. I'm like, this isn't a real alternative. This is a complementary thing. Exactly. And somebody could make a version of Rust, which, like, you know, had a garbage collector, for example. And then it would be way, way easier to use. I don't see people actually doing that. And I think that Rust has some, sort of Go has some fantastic things going for it. And I, I think that, I think the way forward with generics and stuff, they fit really nicely into the language. And I think that's, it's a really, really positive thing. And I think more and more people will continue to use it. Johnny, how is it for you? Do you see, how did the meetup start? How long has the meetup going? How is the tech ecosystem? Well, I'm in kind of a, sort of the DC metro area. So there's a good bit of a technology activity going on in these parts. And before that, I was in the, the, the Boston area. That's actually where I, I went from organizing the Boston Ruby group to starting the Boston Go user group. Actually, in all fairness, there was a Go user group, but it was kind of dormant. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to start a new one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then, and then a, a couple of weeks later, somebody reached out and says, hey, we already had a meetup. I'm like, well, it wasn't meeting. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we kind of joined forces and kind of uh, um, rekindled it, if you will. And then, uh, yeah, by the time I, I, I did that for maybe three years, by the time I left uh, Boston to come back down to uh, to Maryland, where my brother family uh, resides. Yeah, it was like a thriving uh, community. And 
I'm glad I'm and grateful that I had a, a hand in that. And um, I'm glad I had people join me along the way to help uh, keep it alive. And to this day, it's still going strong. So I'm pretty happy about that. The moment I relocated to Maryland, the closest metro area to me is Baltimore. But to basically, I had to end up driving like a good 30 minutes to get to Baltimore to actually run a meetup. But there was no go meetup in this area. So again, here too, I'm like, okay, I'm going to start one. Right. So I was basically trying to be the change I wish to see. Right. <laughs> so basically, you know, like I'm, I knew there were some people interested in it. And I was like, okay, you know what? You've got the experience in, in starting and running meetups and why not? So I did it for, for the one in, around here. And yeah, we've been going strong for what, five years now? So yeah, mm-hmm. we've had a, we're at the Baltimore Go Meetup for four plus five years now. Like we're saying, basically, the, 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 the pandemic has had sort of a chilling effect on all meetups, right? Mm-hmm. We used to meet face to face and part of the fun was meeting face to face and the camaraderie and everything else. And that added a, a, an additional sort of layer to it because we were already all online most of the time doing our jobs and getting a chance to you know meet in person was part of the appeal, right? And when we had to go back to all online, then it became, oh man, I got to get into another Zoom today, <laughs> you know? So it was, uh, it, it kind of had a chilling effect. I think you know, every meetup organizer will tell you that. Like everybody else, I think we're trying, we're going to try to get back to face-to-face in Q1 of next year. We'll see what happens if it's January or February, but we're definitely going to try and do that again. Uh, we tried doing that about a month and a half or so ago after, you know, vaccine was starting to, to a spread and uh, some of the restrictions were being lifted, but it was just still too early. Like we had like three people show up when we usually had like, you know, 20. So I was like, okay, it's still, still a little too early. So now we're going to try and do that again, you know, in, in the new year. And hopefully, you know, obviously the, the numbers continue to go down, even if they do the little roller coaster thing, but hopefully it's a downward trend. And, uh, you know, that way people feel more comfortable joining us back in person. Cause I really do uh, believe that helps foster community. Beyond that, really, one of the best ways that I can contribute or that I used to also in person was to run workshops mm-hmm. in the Baltimore area, uh, free workshops uh, for people who want to learn Go. And in a lot of cases, want to learn programming, period, right? And I've had the opportunity to introduce Go as a first programming language to a lot of folks. And again, here too, I'm like absolutely grateful for, for the opportunity to do that. For me, the biggest thing I can do as a teacher is to make you fall in love with something, right? If you're coming into programming for the very first time, a good experience with a teacher can make or break your desire to continue to learn and to keep going and, and, and stay in this industry, break into this field, right? You know, which could be life-changing uh, from a career perspective. So, you know, whenever I get these opportunities, I do not take them for granted. I try to do the very best that I can as a teacher, right, as a trainer, to relay information the best way that I can, right, so that I can sort of foster that that appetite, that foster that love, right? Not just for Go, but really for for the field in general. The whole field can benefit from from more uh, uh, diversity of thought, right? A diversity of uh, of people, right? So I definitely try to do that, and I teach you know workshops freely, and that's something I'm very much looking forward to being able to do again once we're able to meet face to face. But yeah, it's it's much harder to do these things online these days. Uh, I think people are they're zoomed out, they're you know hangouts, whatever webinars, whatever. They, people just I think people just want to go back into the sort of the the face to face like in person kind of experience. But uh, I'm looking forward to contributing and bagging that way. Interestingly enough, I've met people saying, oh, yeah, you, you must be contributing a lot of uh, code to go and everything. I'm like, no, there's not a single commit. Well, there might be more, maybe one commit, but there's not a there's not a ton of commits. You're not going to see my name all over the Go code base, right? My contributions are about community. They're about people. They're about bringing more people into the Go community. 
and uh, that's where I see myself making the, the biggest impact. And that's usually um, how I go about it. So for those of you who are thinking, man, the only way I can contribute is by writing code. Absolutely not. There are so many ways you can contribute, right? You can make things a little easier for those who do want to go into code, who do want to sort of contribute in different ways. There's so many ways to contribute. It's not just, you know, GitHub commits that make you a contributor to a community. Yeah, I think there's a big difference between a user of the language and a developer of the language. And you can be a good citizen in, in the Go community by using the language and making it better without actually developing any feature or doing any bug fix to the language itself. Yeah, like Go, the language is so mature that all the rough edges has been filed off. <laughs> like when, like, as I was saying, when I, when I started, there were loads of sharp edges. And when there are sharp edges, it's really easy to just dive in and like, I've got this need to fix this thing, right? But now it's really hard to get into actually, there aren't so many things to fix, right? And the things that are there to be fixed are pretty hard to fix. Mm -hmm. They're not easy because if they were easy, someone else would have done it, right? Yeah. So I think that John is absolutely right. I hardly ever contribute. You know, I kind of like contributing to Go, but I haven't, I've done like two features in the last three years or something, you know, it's like nothing. If you actually want to contribute to Go, the core thing as well, as well as the kind of social thing, just filing good issues. If you have problems, then like actually contributing by can be really, really helpful, I think. If you have an issue which you think is a bug, then, you know, you can complain about it, but <laughs> filing a really good issue is actually really helpful. Right, right. And if you are an early user that you're not even finding bugs, which you can always do is answer questions on Slack, for example. There's always somebody newer than you and somebody who answered many newbie questions sometimes will be over answered and will not want to answer. So step in, answer some questions, whatever you can. It's always a great way to nurture the community. Some of the uh, Go team members are really good examples in that regard. Like you see on the Go Nuts news, the mailing list, Ian Lance Taylor, you know, he's one of the original three contributors and he basically knows everything and he will not ever look down on the question. You know, he, he answers the questions at face value really well and it's an object lesson to all of us not to be snarky because it's so easy like oh they're asking that same thing that i've heard ask ask a hundred times before to just say look you know go and look back into the archives read the docs yeah <laughs> yeah read the docs <laughs> rati fm we do try to avoid that it's true i think that community vibe uh, which go managed to do a really nice job of creating a good helpful polite community is, is very important. And it's, I think people are coming in to go and they ask questions. They feel welcome, which is awesome. Feeling welcome is always great. Would you all say that a, a decade ago, it was also a welcoming community? Yeah, nodding for agreement. Are there any interesting changes that you noticed over this decade in the community or obviously the language changed a lot as well? Anything interesting that you would point out from those changes? Something immediately comes to mind, and that's the, uh, the code of conduct mm -hmm. that's gone through a few iterations. We have a Go code of conduct for the community that's gone through a few iterations. Um, that's now sort of uh, headed by and, and managed by the, uh, the core group of uh, people on the Go team and some other involved community members as well. That's gone through some iterations and it's gotten more refined and all in the pursuit of making this a safe and welcoming community for everybody, right? Every now and then, you know, folks will run afoul of that, whether they realize it or not. 
what I can say to that is basically if you know that you're running afoul of of our code of conduct, you don't necessarily have to agree with everything it says, but you have to respect it, right? Because this is sort of the the body, right, of work that basically says this is how the expectation that we have of everybody within that community, right? Again, you don't have to agree with everything, but you at least have to respect it. And if it's not for you and you think there, okay, there's something in there I just cannot live with, maybe, you know, you practice go in isolation, nobody's gonna prevent you from doing go, but your involvement in that community may be limited or you may be self-limiting, right, your participation in the Go community if you're not willing to sort of, you know, uh, um, adapt, right, to some of those things. Again, not everything in there is going to be 100%, you know, agreeable to everybody, but we all have to have some sort of common, like a base, right, to go from if we want to have, you know, something that works for most people, right? Again, nothing's going to work for everybody, but we, we all need some sort of baseline to go from. We do a pretty good job, right? Uh, enough so that, you know, people who do come into the Go community want to stay in it. And I think that's a testament to, to the last 10 years and all the work that's gone in, uh, the people that are involved and, and the learner sort of attitude we take towards community management and community organization. Um, everybody in this call, right, who manages a, a, a user group <laughs> knows how hard that stuff can be at times. So I think that's a testament to the people that really that are sort of providing the leadership for this community going forward. And hopefully the next 10 years is even better. Yeah. <laughs> Roger, is there anything that you would point out uh, that you really enjoyed from all the changes of the language or and or the community? For me, the biggest change in the community has just been the whole, the size of it. Mm. It's interesting because you, you get, you know, a lot of people that have looked at, that are familiar with the, the core code base and maybe familiar with the idioms there and write code that's like those idioms. But now there's the whole offshoots that write you know, very different style. Like, you know, there's there's lots of people that have looked at Kubernetes, for example, and, and like, oh, that, that's how you write Go, right? So they write Go like that, <laughs> or, you know. And I think that whole thing is really interesting, you know, and I, I can talk to someone and, they'll be, and I'll be mentioned some, something about, oh, really? You should do it like this? No, we do it like this, you know, some, something totally, totally different way. And, and I think that's kind of interesting. There are lots of ways to do it. And also there's this, this huge community that, that generates its own. There's many sub-ecosystems to go now, I think. Lots of people that are familiar with a code base, you know, they've, and, and you, oh, that's how you do it, right? <laughs> I think oh, that's pretty interesting how that's managed as time goes forward. It's, you know, maybe you don't need to manage it, but you know, maybe Go just helps. But I, I do think there are probably good ways to do it and bad ways to do it. And sometimes I look at code and I'm like, oh, really? Uh, you know, <laughs> you're doing Java and Go or you're doing, you know, some other language in Go and maybe that's not ideal, but maybe that's the way forward. I don't know. Gava and Gooby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think scale changes everything, including the scale of the community. And when the community grows, you need different ways of dealing with that community. I think going forward, we will see probably the code of conduct being more important or any written rules, some guidelines, very much like a, you know, a small village versus a big city. Go is becoming a, a bigger city now. What's going on, Gophers? This episode is brought to you by Equinix Metal. If you want the choice and control of hardware with low overhead and the developer experience of the cloud, you need to check out Equinix Metal. Deploy in minutes across 18 global locations from Silicon Valley to Sydney. 
Visit metal.equinix.com slash just add metal and receive $100 in credit to play with. Again, metal.equinix.com slash just add metal. And by our friends at Fastly, they're running a massive promo on Compute at Edge. They're inviting our entire listener base to move latency-sensitive workloads to the edge with Compute at Edge free for three months, plus up to $100,000 a month in credit for an additional six months. This is a limited-time offer, so head to Fastly.com slash podcast as soon as you can to check it out and get all the details. Here's the TLDR. Fastly's edge cloud network and modern approach to serverless computing allows you to deploy and run complex logic at the edge with unparalleled security and blazing fast computational speed. Scale instantly and globally, reduce origin load, get real-time observability, and get seamless integration with your existing tech stack. Head to fastly.com slash podcast to get compute at edge free for three months, plus up to $100,000 a month in credit for an additional six months. Once again, fastly.com slash podcast. few years as you already mentioned a little bit it has been picked up by large corporates and it was widely adopted by all sorts of large companies and organizations and uh, if a decade ago you were a hipster to use go today less so so how do you see the next 10 12 years of go Hipster. Raj, were you a hipster? Never. Before it was cool. <laughs> Maybe Mickey was. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's my Berlin world of context kicking in. <laughs> well, it's really hard to predict, especially about the future, as Yogi Berra said. I think Go has a stable foundation that will keep it going. And I, I think that where it's aimed for, which is writing APIs and backend servers, I think that's where we see more and more from it. I don't see it jumping over to different places. Maybe, I don't know. It's not my guess, but I think the future looks good. So that's what I can say. That's optimistic. Roger, what's your prediction? I always think that Go would make a great language for programming graphics stuff in. Mm-hmm. I know it hasn't got into that that place, but there's some interesting uh, developments in that area. I, I kind of, yeah, maybe it would, but the area is so complex that maybe it never will. I think that the you know Go excels in tooling, you know, APIs and that sort of thing is great because you can actually, you can have this whole back and forth between different sources of truth. You know, you can generate code. There's a language called Q, which I think is great. There's called interplay between that kind of configuration-based stuff and more, uh, you know, imperative, more Go stuff. I think that's that's a really interesting area. I think there's a lot to be said for just using it to talk to existing services. Like, for example, if you want to use, uh, like, you know, Influx data, you know, Influx DB, you get Go, it's really easy. You just, you know, who knows where it'll go. I want to see Go running on Mars. That's my, that's the goal. Ooh. Rumor has it that SpaceX is using it, so. Oh, so maybe sooner than later. Yeah. <laughs> Jenny, do you have a prediction? I remember there was, uh, maybe it was the first or second GopherCon, um, one of the, uh, sort of people responsible for Go, I can't remember who exactly, but I remember one of the things they said was that it's always interesting when you when you help create something and you put it out there, some of the original use cases you were thinking of when you were devising this thing, 
like are coming at you and you're like, you're wondering what in the world? Like I never saw, I could have never foreseen like this particular use case or how people are using it in this particular way and whatnot. And I think that's true today as it was, you know, 10 years ago. I think the use cases for Go are just going to continue to grow because as we add more and more people, right, new gophers into the community, they're all going to bring their own ideas of what they'd like to use Go for. Some of the most popular tools and services and things that we use today, really, it's just an initial sort of salvo, right? For It's just a, um, a show of what basically solving a set of problems that we used to have, right? And using Go to solve those problems in a better way than we used to be able to solve them. That doesn't mean we're out of ideas for where Go can go next, right? We've just solved the, the problems that we used to have better, better technology, better language now, right? There's a lot of innovation happening in our space. I mean, our field, right? What we do is sort of driven. Innovation is, is part and parcel to that. So the use cases of Go, uh, I think we haven't seen all of them yet. It's just going to continue to grow, especially if Go sticks around for another 20, 30, 40 years, like, uh, like things like C and C++ have. We're just at the tip of the iceberg. My wish for Go, really, I have two wishes, one for the language itself, the technology itself, but also for the community. I wish Go doesn't fall for the trap of sort of innovation for the sake of innovation, right? You saw how long it took, how much deliberation it took to add something like generics to the language, parametric polymorphism to the language. And it took a lot of back and forth, you know, something like multiple revisions to design spec and like a lot of back and forth, you know, between prominent members of the community, users of the, of the language, potential users of the feature and things like that. And even to this day, you know, you have folks like, you know, Ross Cox basically saying, hey, I'm sure we're going to have some guidelines for how to use Go properly. But, you know, take it easy on that stuff for now as we learn what the best practices are. Maybe you put your use of generics behind a, a build flag or something, right? So that's for those who want to use it, can use it. Those who don't want to, they can stick to the more tried and true things, right? So that level of, of reservation, that level of conservatism, you know, with regards to adopting new things and new, new ways of doing things in the language, I hope we always sort of retain that because I think keeping something simple is very, very hard. Keeping it easy to use, right? There's a reason why Go is easy to use when you compare it to other um, popular languages these days, right? That wasn't sort of by chance. That was a deliberate effort, right? And I hope that regardless of who's at the helm of the language over the years, I hope that we retain the sensibility, right, for the, the keeping the language simple, keeping the use of it simple, right? Because with a simple tool, you can then build more complicated things. But if the tool you have to use is also complicated, then your appetite for building these more powerful, more complex tools kind of dwindles a little bit, right? And that's when you start to have stagnation and that's when you start to have sort of less innovation happening, right? So I hope we do retain that simplicity that is Go. And whatever the next major perhaps controversial feature is going to be. Who knows what that is after generics? Um, although, thinking of it now, I'm, I'm hard-pressed to think of something more controversial than generics was. Operator overloading. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Error handling. Yeah. yeah, there are so many. Yeah, the, the ground is fertile for <laughs> controversial uh, topics in addition to language. But I do hope we retain, we keep that simplicity as sort of the top sort of priority for us. And as for the community itself, the state of the community as a generally welcoming one, but was deliberate as well. A lot of people very early on said, okay, we've, we've seen and been a part of communities that perhaps didn't get it right, or they're struggling to get it right. And we've learned from their mistakes, and we're going to avoid these things as much as possible within the Go community. And I think a lot of the people that got on 
within the Go community, like early on, they were excited as for the technology, but also for the potential of the community. I'm proud to say that I think we are living quite a bit of that potential. We're not all there yet. There's still a lot of work to do, but that's why I'm so proud to be part of this community because we do live our values. We, we do care about people. And I, I hope the next 10 years, we, we continue to sort of retain that as, as a core value of who we are as gophers. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Those are all really interesting and good and positive predictions. But thanks for sharing all that. <laughs> sounds like you got something. Yeah, what do you think, Natalie? <laughs> yes, Natalie. Well, I wanted to ask you about the unpopular opinion, but what do I see for the next decade or 12 years? It's what else is there to say other than I hope it will stay simple. I hope it will keep being friendly and I hope it will be on Mars. So now one of the even fun reasons that uh, I get when people ask me uh, why should I use Go, I can even say something simple like, A, it's very easy to get started with and it's probably you're going to get either a salary increase or at the very least not a cut, which is not something you can say about all <laughs> languages. So I hope that it will keep being... Um, a language that we want to use for many reasons. Nice. Well, that will not be my unpopular opinion because I came prepared. Okay. Ooh. I just want you to know that. But before that, let's do the, the unpopular opinion theme. I actually think you should probably leave. So normally I would start by asking you all what are your unpopular opinions, but I came, as I said, very prepared. I already asked on Twitter, so I'm just going to state it. And there's no even need to test it, as we do with all the mm. unpopular opinions that we hear by asking on our Twitter handle, uh, is this opinion unpopular or not? It was unpopular, but only by a little bit. So something like 55, 45. So avocado toast, not with fresh tomatoes, but with dried tomatoes. Somehow, most of my Twitter feed got it wrong and said, or thought mistakenly, and it's okay, we all make mistakes, that you need to use it to eat that with fresh tomatoes. But no. So that's a validated, unpopular opinion. I have to say, I've never had avocado toast. <laughs> that is a confusing situation. <laughs> and it's true and false for you at the same time. <laughs> Schrodinger's opinion. I love avocados and I love toast, so I'm sure the combination is good, but... <laughs> You know, I think in different countries, toast can mean different things, right? So I don't know if you think of like two toasted breads and the avocado in between them also toasted versus just toasted bread. and then... That's a sandwich. Oh, well, I've been to many countries. I've seen things. So, you know, it can always be more clear. <laughs> yeah, I have to say, I, I don't even know, you know, it's got toast and it's got avocados, but I have no idea what else it's got. A little bit of dressing, maybe. It was out of order execution. I fried the avocado and then here's bread. Chilies. <laughs> you have to have chilies in <laughs> For me, yeah, definitely. <laughs> hey, so Roger, what is your unpopular opinion for today? The opinion I gave when I was on the show before was turned out not to be very popular, unpopular at all. But I have one that I know is, I hold, <laughs> and I, I know that it is unpopular. So I will, I will just say, I believe that Acme is the best text editor. Uh... And most people haven't even heard of this text editor. So I think it's an amazing, amazing editor. And that Rob Pike was not misled when he said that the mouse is a, an excellent way to interact better than the keyboard with the editor. <laughs> and actually, there was a recent episode of Dev Tool Time recently when I, I explored this topic a little bit recently. Worth checking out if you're interested. But I, you know, I think it's an amazing uh, and productive way to develop 
Well, you should add the link both to the editor and to that episode in the show notes so that anybody who hears this later on can go and check this out. I will do. Cool. Miki, do you have an unpopular opinion? Yes. My unpopular opinion is that when picking speakers to conferences, the speaker is more important than the subject. Mm -hmm. The speaker is more important than the subject in conference talks. Interesting. Interesting. I cannot predict if this will be popular or not. <laughs> so some speakers may attract a larger audience than others. Mm. But it doesn't matter what the topic is, the speaker alone is enough. Yes, I, I think that great speakers give them give me a talk about flies and, and they'll do it magnificently. And then there are some really, really talented people that will talk on a really interesting subject in a boring and, and bad way. So I think when you're doing talks, which is is a medium, you need to know how to do it, and you're there for um, somewhat for entertaining people, not just educating them. The speaker is more important. Good speaking skills is definitely something to practice. I think I agree with that actually, <laughs> because I think a good speaker will find ways to make even a mundane subject really interesting. You might think, oh, this isn't very interesting, and then they bring you know bring some life and bring some some things. Oh, I never thought of that. Right. There's nuance there, right? So it's not about the popularity of the speaker themselves. It's about their delivery mechanism or how well they're able to, to keep your attention or get you interested in something that might otherwise be a mundane topic. So, okay. So yeah, there's some nuance to that. Yeah. But interestingly enough, like those people who are able to do that become the more, more popular speakers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so they're kind of hand in hand. Hmm. Chani, do you have an unpopular opinion for us? Yeah, I believe uh, trackballs are better than those things you drag around on your desk, <laughs> collecting dust. Just use your thumb. That's way, way more efficient. No, just use Vim like I do. <laughs> Don't use a mouse at all, he says. Trackballs over, what are you even going to call those things? Like just regular mice? I think they're optical now. How about trackpads? Trackpads? Yeah, what you have on your laptop. Oh, oh, the, yeah, yeah, I, I, I do use those because those, those provide a more... Uh, I guess at this stage, a more natural sort of interaction surface. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to have a mouse, mm -hmm. like a regular old school mouse, uh -huh, uh -huh, okay. those are what I'm, I'm thinking that we need to move on. We're in a different era now. Either use a trackpad or use a, if you want to stick to the old school, the better technology is the ball. You have to use a trackball. So what, why is a ball better? I, I'm, I'm interested. Maybe I should get one. <laughs> it's a stationary surface. The only thing moving is your thumb. And you can go anywhere in the screen. You don't have to, you know, get carpal tunnel, just <laughs> hand around on the desk and everything else. It's just a one nice surface. It just, your hand just stays there. If you want to get sophisticated, some of these things even have different positions they can take to accommodate your hand and everything else. I mean, it's really quite a different experience. Maybe I should get one. Yeah, you should absolutely get one. I mean, I use the mouse all the time. I, I you know, I, I, oh. they use the keyboard as a control surface. I don't use keyboard shortcuts, right? So the mouse is very important to me. Yeah, are you, and then you will love your trackball. But if I have a, a like a, a Lenovo ThinkPad and that works when I'm, I use the touch point thing, you know, the little orange nipple thing. Oh God, those are awful. <laughs> I find those work really well for me. I can use that really well. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's two unpopular opinions in one episode. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Congratulations. Oh, man. It's because I need three buttons, right? So I can't use the normal the trackpad type thing. All right. Well, there you have it. <laughs> there, there. That's going to be interesting. Curious to see the results of the survey. 
<laughs> and until the survey, I want to say thank you for joining us and see you all in one decade or earlier. <laughs> <laughs> That's our show for this week. Thanks for hanging with us. GopherCon is right around the corner, and we have three GoTime Live sessions. We're doing a panel discussion, an AMA with the Go team, and we're playing another round of Gopher Say. Register today and add our sessions to your agenda at gophercon.com. Tickets start at $0. GoTime is produced by me, Jared Santo, with music by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. We are brought to you by some awesome partners. Thanks again to Fastly, Linode, and launch darkly next week we have dominic st pierre on the pod he speaks with john about his experience transitioning to using a screen reader and learning to code without his vision they discuss how some of the tooling works things other devs can do to make their code more accessible for blind teammates and a whole lot more that's coming up next time on go time <laughs>